don't talk too much. So talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. everybody and welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening. I am Eric John. Of course, before we get into it, I've got to tell you about the best artisan soda in the entire world. Of course, that's Yacht Club Soda. Go to YachtClubSoda.com right now and check out all the amazing flavors they have. They've got blue raspberry, grapefruit, strawberry, root beer, uh, lemon lime, orange cream, uh, the list goes on and on. You will not be disappointed. Please go to yachtclubsoda.com right now. John Scambato will send this delicious soda right to your door. It's real cane sugar. They come in glass bottles. It's the best. So go to yachtclubsoda.com right now and order some for yourself. Uh, also, I've got, like as I've been saying the last few episodes, I've got brand new pizza coming out all the time. I just did a Sylvester Stallone pizza um and man it was one of the most challenging ones i've done it uh, you know about four hours in i was like i don't know how this is gonna work out and then i i i just figured it out and it came out great and i'm super psyched about it so go check that out on my uh twitter uh at eric john art or on instagram at eric john pizza art uh you can also find me on tiktok um and youtube just type in eric john pizza artist you'll find me um, I'm uploading videos there now uh, as well. Um, and of course, don't forget to check out The Art of Pizza. It's a film by Marcus Ritchie about me and my work, uh, which is also on YouTube. Okay, on the show today, uh, I've got Brendan Kirby on the show. Brendan uh, is a host, uh, one, or one of the co-hosts on The Road Show, which is a uh, sort of a local morning show here in Rhode Island on uh, WPRI Channel 12. Um, but he's also the author of uh, a book called uh, The Official Seinfeld Cookbook. Uh, he's a huge Seinfeld fan, and uh, I can't wait to talk to him about that uh, as well. And, and he was also an intern on uh, The Late Show with David Letterman, which I also find incredibly interesting. So without further ado, Brendan, welcome to the show. Oh, so great to be here. Now, Eric, before we get into any of the, the hard-hitting expose, and I know it's going to be award-winning on your on your end, I think it's important to point out, I would just like to thank you so much for the virtual pineapple you left out in the virtual green room. A very nice touch. Thank you. Wait, what was that? The virtual pineapple? What was that? In the virtual green room here, because we're speaking virtually. There's a pineapple? Yeah, you put it out. It's all virtual. Thank you. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. See, I'm so okay. So I'm, <laughs> I'm so foreign to, uh, to to any sort of show business that I'm not even thinking like, oh, you mean the nice spread that I put out in the green room? I <laughs> like that's how that's how uh, how bad I am at uh, when it comes to uh, anything to do with show business. I know nothing about it or how it works. Um, my only my my little the little experience I do have. Uh, is my my time in the quote unquote green room at WPRI before going on the road show, um, which is basically like a, it's like a it, it's like a diner setup kind of near the kitchen, like and people kind of hang out over there. It's uh it's really cool actually, and I, I've loved coming on the road show. Um, before we talk about oh yeah, we we spare no expense in that green room. <laughs> anyway, well. Uh, I've loved it. It's a really fun uh, atmosphere. So before we get into um, talking about the, the, the Seinfeld cookbook um, 
and talking about the roadshow and all the stuff you're doing now. I'm really curious. How did you first get into the, the world of television? Well, I just want to point out before I answer that, and it's a fantastic question. You told me before we started that we're going to be going for about 45 to 50 minutes, which sounds great. And I would just like to let you know uh, and, and, and your vast listening audience know I plan to be interesting for at least seven of those minutes. <laughs> All right. Are you I'm with sure me you'll this? do just fine. <laughs> Well, thank you for asking. I've always had a very healthy interest in uh, in, in comedy and in broadcasting and in uh, the visual medium of television. You know, when I was very young, I really was drawn to broadcast. You know, I loved sports and I originally thought, well, it would be great if I could be a, a sports broadcaster. I love basketball and I love listening to John Rook and Joe Hassett. And I'm still a big PC Friars fan. And I remember vividly listening to those guys. Uh, when I'd be in the car and whenever we couldn't be in front of the TV and sometimes we loved them so much that sometimes in, in growing up, we, my brother and I would turn down the, the TV and just turn up Rook and Hassett on the radio. So I was quite taken with uh, broadcast and, and, and the notion of sports. And uh, as good as they were on the radio, I was kind of drawn to the visual medium myself. And I thought, well, maybe I could be a sports broadcaster and I could call the games. You get to sit right there and enjoy it. And I still have a very uh, healthy interest in sports, but as I kind of got a little bit older, I realized mm, I, don't, I don't think I want to make that really my life or my career. And I started to develop a, a very strong interest in comedy, uh, namely the, the late night talk shows and, of course, Seinfeld and, and, and sitcoms and things like that, which were creative and which were rooted in some kind of uh, reality where we would watch and kind of be drawn into the characters and the storylines. But the immediacy of the late night shows was very appealing to me. And the fact that they were these hubs for entertainment with music and comedy and uh, topical jokes and just this arbitrary, uh, absurd silliness that I just loved. And I was really drawn to that kind of stuff. And I, I had it in the back of my head that maybe I could be a, uh, I could work on one of those shows. I could be a writer or maybe I, you know, cause I found myself coming up with ideas that really aligned with what the, the sensibilities of those shows were doing, because this is going back almost 20 years now when I graduated from college, believe it or not, I have a diploma. And I said to somebody, I can't believe it was that long ago, but back then there was no show like the road show. There wasn't a local kind of entertainment uh, show where I could, uh, use my skills as a as a writer and as a as a comedian to fit within the framework of some existing entity. You know, my act. I'm not a newsman or anything like that. So I thought, well, what am I really going to do with this? And I thought the next best thing at that time, because again, this is pre YouTube when when everyone now that everyone does their own thing, which is great. So I thought, well, how am I going to carve out my own unique path? And I thought uh, back there in 2003, the the early 21st century, if you will, that I could uh, maybe work on one of those late night shows. So I, that was kind of the goal at that time. All right. So if you, if you graduated from college 20 years ago, we're, we're pretty much around the same exact age. And when I was, when I was a kid, I was, uh, I was enamored with, um, a lot of the older shows, like the stuff that would be on like Nick at night, you know, like, uh, I love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke and taxi and the odd couple, and uh, and that sort of extended to the talk shows as well. I used to go. There was a major video uh, right down the street from where I grew up. And uh, I used to go rent the like compilation tapes of the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. And became really obsessed with Johnny Carson to the point where 
in I think in like third grade, we had to do like a living history type thing. And I was Johnny Carson. Like I was obsessed with Johnny Carson. Um, and I didn't get into the late show with Letterman, which I was became a huge fan until until later, until I was a bit older. Um, but you told me that you were uh, you were, in fact, an intern on the late night show. So was that right out of college? It was my senior year at Rhode Island College. Go Anchorman. I was a uh, intern at the Letterman show. At that time, it was on. It had been on CBS for 10 years. So it was the 1130 show, the late show. And I loved it because that was kind of, you know, I really admired his sensibility. And like I said, it kind of aligned with the absurdity. That, I mean, my friend, even long before I knew like who Letterman was or what what comedy was like my friends and I were just laughing at everything. And it's still that way to this day, Eric, even like with my brother, like so long before I even discovered these entertainment shows, which just struck a huge chord with me, I just already was in love with laughing and silliness. And then, you know, the more nonsensical, the better I can still even remember my dad. Oh, Brendan, would you knock it off? But in the best way possible, because I just loved silliness and laughing. So then when I started to discover these shows and I liked Letterman the best and Conan O'Brien is a close second favorite when it comes to those shows for me, I was just electrified. I mean, I lit up and was just obsessed with that is so funny. What are they going to do tonight? This is so great and i just was really drawn to them and uh when i was old enough to you know when i was in college you know i knew that the letterman show offered internships and i thought well i'm gonna go for it and i beefed up my resume a little bit before i i I worked there and i had an internship actually at wpri 12 where i now work doing the road show every day and i worked in the sports department Uh, with Patrick Little. And I went up and covered the Patriots and and did all that stuff. But I had a television credit on the resume. And then when I applied for the Letterman for the Late Show internship, I ended up getting it. And the next thing I knew, I was moving to New York uh, in early 2003. And it was a semester living and working in Manhattan. And I loved every second of it. I was there. I couldn't believe, Eric, that I was now working on my favorite show, seeing it from the inside, learning how they put it together. And I was just on cloud nine. I mean, I, I had to stay late. I mean, I, I would stay late. I just wanted to be in the building. I had access to watching old shows and I just was absorbing all of it and I loved it. And it was just an awesome experience. And I thought, well, I've got my foot in the door, so to speak. So that's kind of a cool thing. And I look back very fondly on that. Hard to believe it was two decades ago, but, uh, it was an awesome experience. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pr- like pretty much the greatest thing ever, and I- I'd have to imagine that th- that that must be an incredibly uh, competitive and difficult internship to to get. Were you shocked, like completely shocked, when you found out you got it? Similarly to how I got the road show, you know, you do what you do, Eric. You blackmail you w- your way into it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I, was, I see. Um, you yeah. were the one who was blackmailing Dave. After all this time, we finally figured it out. <laughs> yeah, I really want to do my best to work for free. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great, though. I, I I really felt like I nailed the interview. I remember the day very vividly. I I had a healthy interest. I knew the show really well. Oh, excuse me. I just had my Harley tuned. Uh, <laughs> could you? <laughs> I loaned it to my ex-wife. She's just returning it. I'll see you next week. All right. 
Um, but it was fun. You know, I, I nailed the interview. I really felt like I did well and I, I can be tough on myself sometimes as many of us are who are, you know, those of us that overthink things can be very difficult on ourselves. So I, I, I second guessed a few things, but I felt overall, even, you know, I was only you know, 20 or just north of 20, I still felt like I did well. And, uh, but you never know how those things are going to go. You know, I'm just coming from our little state of Rhode Island and there are people coming in who, you know, go to these much bigger schools. And, you know, I, I'm just from, from Providence. And I think, well, I don't have the shot against this person from, you know, Duke university or, you know, Michigan or wherever they're from. But, Next thing I knew, a few weeks later, I was offered the position and I was just thrilled. I I can't even pretend to imagine exactly what kind of um, access the interns have to Dave. But did I mean, did you interact with him, um, you know, at all? I mean, I know you were on the on the program a few times um, in different bits and stuff. But did the interns interact with Dave on like a regular basis, even if it was just in passing? No, the staff was so huge and there, you know, there were so many people that worked on it and that I know, you know, every late night show has a massive amount of people that, that, that worked there. So it's, it's divided into, it was divided into various different departments. So I just had daily tasks and, and all these things I had to do, uh, which were very cool. And I learned a lot and they were hands on and, uh, the energy was, you know, palpable every day. Like I, I invoke the word immediacy again here because it's so immediate you're at five 30, it, it was on, you know, taping live to tape and then airing it later at 1130 that night as it recorded. And so the, the, the tension level is high. You want to nail everything and have it be great. And so that affected our job as well. You know, everyone on the, the roster, so to speak, had something to do. And it was a full day. So we I, we did not see him very much. I A few times I saw him, uh, but there was not much day to day interaction. What what would you say is your favorite memory from that time during the, during that time working with the Late Show? Well, I've told this before, and it's a it's a very good story, and I can say it now. Uh, I, I've told it a couple times. I had been working there for three weeks, uh, and they used to tape a couple of sh- two shows on Thursday, one for that night, and then there'd be a second taping later in the evening on Thursday, which aired on Friday. So Thursday was always a later day. So we had been there and it had been a long day and I had only been working there three weeks, but I was really enjoying it, learning a lot, still meeting everyone, getting to know the names and the faces. And uh, it's late one night and a bunch of us are leaving. A bunch of the interns are going to head out for a a night of revelry in Manhattan, if you will, because Friday (laughs) is a little bit of a lighter day. And we can't all fit into the elevator there at the Ed Sullivan Theater office building. So a friend and I, we said, all right, we'll wait for the next one. And the next elevator comes along and the door opens and there's Dave uh, <laughs> with one of his assistants. And we hop in and, you know, you're, it was it was great. You know, I know what to do. I'm, I've always been a respectful person who understands the business environment, even though he's a major inspiration of mine and I'm a huge fan of his. I, I know how to conduct myself or so I thought. Oh, geez, <laughs> and, no, what happened? <laughs> so we're, we're riding down the elevator and uh, no, it wasn't bad. It was actually really funny. And uh, I'm standing there talking and uh, uh, the woman that was riding the elevator with him introduced herself to me and I 
said, hi, my name is Brendan. I'm from Rhode Island College, really enjoying working here. She said, oh, that's so great. So happy to hear it. And then Dave extended his hand to me. Uh, she had introduced herself to me and I had introduced myself to her. And then Dave extended his hand to me and I, I, I shook it and I looked at him and I said, and you are? just being a 20 year old idiot and uh he kind of just chuckled and i just i just laughed it off but now it's just it sounds pretty funny to me i I can't imagine you know i'm sure he got the joke i mean he was like been in show business at that point forever and he's right that's exactly right we all have but i just i was being who i was at 20 so i don't care i look back at it it's a great story and then later on so here's where it's a win-win for me and i've told many people this later on Toward the end of the semester on like this, you know, the penultimate day, the second to last day there or whatever, I had a chance to, to meet him again. And uh, I was waiting for him after the show and he came out uh, and he thanked me uh, for working there and he helped uh, another friend of mine, a fellow intern and, and wished us good luck going back to school. And he, he asked us our names again because it had been like five months. And uh, then he turned to the uh, one of his assistants who was standing there and he said to her, and you are, and he made the same silly, stupid, inane, dumb joke that I had. And he kind of looked at me and I thought, okay, he remembered the elevator ride. Oh, that's funny. Great. Or he's making the same dumb joke as I am. So who cares? <laughs> now, explain to me how this works, because, um, you know, at, so the internship is over. Um, I know, I know that there's a lot of people who interned on the show who then ended up, you know, getting a, a, a paying gig on the show, either as a writer or as an assistant or something. Um, what, what was your path? Like, did, did you want to continue working on the show? Did you try to get a job? Did you, you know, did they just not offer one to you? Like, like what happened next? Oh no. After the, and you are comment, I was banned from the building. <laughs> uh, Actually, you know what, Eric? I wish we could continue, but we're at the 15-minute mark, which means I've exceeded my allotted time of being interesting. So I got to go. Sorry, buddy. Well, you could just, I mean, if you want, you could just stay and just, you know, <laughs> be uninteresting for the next 30 minutes. And I'll try to carry the weight if you want. I'll just yes and no answer you. Uh, but, <laughs> that would actually you know, be really funny if that was the rest yeah. of the interview. <laughs> No, I'm only kidding. I love having fun, and this is great so far. But, uh, yeah, I, well, see, here's where that gets interesting because – I, my last semester at Rick should have been the 2002-2003 academic year, but because I, I could not be physically present at Rick and because I had a full-time, you know, thing going on every single day in Manhattan, I had to push um, my final semester up to the following fall. So I had to go back and finish up. And so I finished up in the fall of 2003. And then, you know, I wanted to work there again. Like I said, I felt I, I could have, but I, there was an opening the following. I'm trying to remember it so long ago now. And that's right. There was, there was an opening, an entry level thing. And I did apply for it and I didn't get it, but I was still also finishing college when it, it came about. So I don't know if that affected it or not. And then I stayed in touch for a while, but I ended up doing some local media things here. And also I had this marketing job here. So I don't want to say it fell off my radar. I, I didn't lose hope that maybe I could work there someday, but it kind of faded to the back um, because I just was kind of pursuing my own in front of the camera thing. I had this uh, public access show called Wicked Late and it was on from 
uh, when I came back from Letterman, I always wanted to be a TV host. So I was like, well, I'm going to start my own. Again, it was pre-YouTube and pre-Instagram and social and everyone doing kind of like what we're doing now. So I just went down to the public access studio and I was committed to running this show of my own. So I, I kind of was very wrapped up with that. And I thought, well, if I could do this long enough and develop a nice kind of resume, a visual resume and uh, of myself doing this, then maybe I could parlay that into my own kind of own on camera thing when the time is right. And the goal was to keep cranking out that marketing job I had to earn enough money so that I could eventually move to Los Angeles or New York without a job and live for a little bit off of what I saved. So I kind of was really committed to saving, saving, saving and, and honing the craft in front of the camera even though it was only on public access, Eric, I worked very, very hard. It was an original show. I developed my own style. Yeah, I had the desk and all that, but I I booked it. I produced it. I wrote it. I did a lot of the editing, and I, and I did it all so that if an opportunity came about where I could be some kind of a talk show guy, I would have had all the experience that I needed to kind of slide right in. So I stayed in touch with some people, and I thought, well, if an opportunity comes back up at Letterman again, I would love to apply for it. And I will, because it would be great to work on that show. But I was kind of committed to, by that point, to doing my own thing. It's kind of figuring out my my own path, which eventually was the roadshow. So I didn't close the door on that. And I had friends that ended up getting jobs there. But I kind of was happy that I had the internship experience. And I kind of felt like, well, I did it. At least I worked there and I can now move on with my own thing. So, so when did you, when did you first come to the roadshow? How did that all happen? Who did, did you get a call from channel 12? Um, was there some other stuff they had seen, um, that, you know, they wanted to bring you on board? How did that all transpire? They had seen my previous work and despite that there was still interest. <laughs> Can you imagine such a thing, Eric? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to imagine. Very, right now. <laughs> very difficult. Oh, he's excellent at vocalized pauses and awkward silences. We'll take him. So. I was, I had first become aware of the roadshow. By the time that started, I was already like five and a half years into doing Wicked Late, which was a monthly program where, I mean, I could only do it once a month because I had a full-time job and, and I had a lot of stuff going on. But by then I, when they launched that show, they used to have an open casting call and I, they would look for a host. And I remember auditioning for it and I did not get it early on when it was on and I didn't really care. And you, and, and this is, I always talk about that because Joan Rivers didn't get the tonight show. She auditioned nine times. Anyone who's, you have to work at it. It's not the right fit all the time at the right time. So to anyone out there who's listening, who's not gotten a part or a job or a gig, it does not mean that you are not good. It just means that you're not right in that moment. You just have to try again because it's all about timing. So I auditioned for it, didn't get it, continued you know, my life with, with Wicked Late and with doing the, the marketing gig I had and some other jobs. And then actually in 2012, I decided, because this is all connected, even though I, you know, I'm, I'm verbally rambling here, it's, I, I decided finally to move out to LA in 2012 just to see what I could find. And I worked behind the scenes for a couple of productions, nothing in late night, but it was a good, I had some decent paying jobs so I could live and sustain while I hustled a little bit out there, which was great. And I did enjoy the experience and I'm really glad I had it. So I was out there for probably a year to a year and a half. 
And by the end of that second year that I was there, it was inching toward the fall again. And the job that I had out there had ended because a lot of times out there, the way it works is you'll be on a show for six months, eight months, two years, and it ends. And then you hope for the next gig. And so I was between shows and I wanted something steady. I, who doesn't, you want that income coming in. You want to be, you know what you have coming in and earn regularly. So I, I, that had ended and I thought, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue, you know, slugging it out, out here? Or do I want to see what else is out there? And someone said to me, Hey, you know, they're having that road show. They're, they're looking once again, cause it was an annual open casting call. Cause you would just win the co-hosting job for a 12 month calendar year, January to December. And so Basically, I thought, well, why not? And so I sent uh, a video in from my asbestos-ridden <laughs> apartment in Los Angeles, and I sent them the video, uh, just an audition over email. And the next thing I know, I, I got a callback that they wanted to see me again, and it was a combination of things. I, I did miss home. I did miss the East Coast. I'm not saying I wouldn't have stayed out there if the opportunity had been there. But it just so happens that the opportunity ended up being back home. And it was kind of a win-win timing-wise. Missed everybody, missed it here. Also, it was a chance to do what I love, which is being on a talk show every day and not a news program. And I thought, I really think that would be a good fit. So the next thing you know, you know, I was moving back and I had made it to the top 10 and then the top five. And then I was the person who selected to to be uh, the host for the next calendar year, which would have been 2014. And uh, they've been stuck with me ever since. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like it's been a great fit for you. You've obviously been doing it for a while. And, um, you know, when <laughs> I picture you being out in L.A., Brendan, and I, I, I just I get this image of like Kramer when Kramer went out to L.A. and he's living in this little apartment and he's like trying to sh he's like he's like meeting with Fred Savage to like have him read his script, but like not really like <laughs> as I see it as like this just crazy experience being out there. Do, do you um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not familiar with the character name. What show is Kramer from? <laughs> of course. Yes. The author of the Seinfeld cookbook not, <laughs> doesn't know what Seinfeld is. Um, and speaking of you know, just random thought speaking of books did you see that uh michael richards is is putting out a, a book did you see that i did not uh, i did not know that no, it's I a memoir that. yeah he's put it's his it's his only post on instagram no way um, is that recent yeah i just saw it a few days ago um oh, i forget what it's called but i'm sure if people out there are interested they can google michael richards memoir and uh you know he gets into all of it i, I think is what i saw it, it looks oh, yeah. fascinating it um, I'm not really listening to you. I'm Googling that now. That'll be cool. <laughs> it's just an aside for uh, all the Seinfeld fans that might be listening. Um, but hey, you know what would make an excellent companion book to the Michael? What's Richard that, Brendan? <laughs> no, no. Continue. I'm just being a uh, smart Alec. <laughs> well, I definitely. I want to get. I want to get into the uh, the Seinfeld cookbook because um, I remember when I first heard about it. I my first thought was. That is a brilliant idea, and I couldn't believe that nobody had thought of it or been able to get it done before. Because you know, when you really stop and think about it, and for any Seinfeld fan, um, there really so much of this of the stuff in that show revolves around food, and you don't really realize it like at first. But when you stop and think about it for a second, there's there's so many signature food items in that show that are integral to different storylines, which is 
kind of weird and kind of interesting. And it, I, you know, I've never seen anyone really bring that up in, in a conversation with Jerry Seinfeld or Larry David. Um, talk about how, how did you, this, cause I know this is like the official Seinfeld cookbook. This isn't just like, you know, you decided to make a Seinfeld cookbook, but it's like officially affiliated well, with the show. How did, how did that happen? Actually, I've been telling everyone it's the unofficial official Seinfeld cookbook. So that takes care of that. <laughs> Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> no, right. it actually is the official Seinfeld cookbook, and I'll get into that in a moment. But before we continue, I must ask you, Eric, can you still hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly, yes. Okay, the reason I ask is, and this is where I'm delighted that you cannot see me right now. I'm currently, uh, I decided I was seated hunched over forward at the microphone, but now I'm reclining backwards, and it's it's very reminiscent of the timeless art of seduction. <laughs> I can't see this right now. It's very disturbing. Well, you've just put that mental image in all of our heads, and um, <laughs> again, people listening who don't know Seinfeld, just Google timeless art of seduction, and you'll know exactly uh, and, what and, yeah, and about. you'll you'll never eat again, and uh, you'll be good to go unless it's a pizza from you. But let's when you get said when it. you said reclining, the first thing I thought of was like. Uh, independent George, you know, uh, <laughs> with, with the candy wrappers all over his, you know, stained T-shirt. That was that's, that's what I thought of. Uh, great stuff. Well, so it was in the fall of uh, 2021. I uh, I got um, a message from my friend Julie Tremaine, and I have no idea how she got my number, but uh, she messaged me and she says, "Brendan, I got to talk to you." And I said, "All right." And I I don't mean to in I, I invoke this not to bring the conversation down although it's hard to believe it could go any lower than it's been. But, uh, and that's not your fault, Eric, it's mine. Uh, <laughs> Julie says, I got to talk to you. And it was a very rough time. Uh, it was right around two years ago. I had just lost my dad and it was just, uh, you know, it, it's an awful time when you go through that. Anyone that's been through that knows. And I, and she says, I know it's, it's not good right now. I know what you're dealing with. She goes, but if you have a minute, I got to talk to you. I think it's, you're going to like it. So I called her and I said, what's going on? And she said, I've been approached by a publisher to write the uh, to write the, this book, Seinfeld, the official cookbook. And I'm just like, you're a big fan, just like I am. And I had the same reaction, I think, that you did. I thought, oh, my God, how cool is that? How fun is that idea? But my head is spinning. My world has been rocked. And I thought so I, I couldn't really focus. She goes, take a couple of days. And so I thought it over and I, I thought, oh, my God, you know dad would love this it's it's a great opportunity it's it's a great uh, job to take it's a great offer you love that show how much fun would this be to do and if someone else co-authored it with her and this thing came out and my name was not on it and someone else's was and i had to look at that for the rest of my life knowing that it could have been my name i would have been kicking myself forever so she there's a publisher inside editions and they are known for they have a series of like culinary of books, cookbooks that have been inspired by different, you know, pop culture things. So there's different uh, cookbooks uh, for other shows. I think this is right. Soprano's one and so uh, things of that nature. So Julie uh, is a professional full-time writer. And so she said to me, she said, you know, I told them at the publisher that I would want to write it with you because she knew the show, but not to the extent of, you know, a person like me who had no life whatsoever during his formative years knew it. So she said, I've pitched you to them. So I wrote some samples of how I would approach different things and they accepted them. And, you know, we, we hammered out a deal. And the next thing, you know, uh, Julie and I were conferring regularly throughout that 
fall into winter of 21 and 22, just kind of hammering it out. So she's really good at, she had experience writing cookbooks. She's really great at, um, putting the recipe together. And I joke on the road show that when I do the kitchen segments, I'm not, I don't cook a lot. I don't know anything about cooking. It's not my area of expertise, nor, nor am I looking to learn, although it, it, it can't hurt to learn new skills. But my strength in this was connecting the idea to the plot line, kind of coming up with the helping her focus, you know, the creative names. How could we make this something? So coming up with the ideas and then with her, and then she kind of could formulate how we would turn that in, how we would make that. So she kind of handles that end of it. And it was really you know, a collaborative effort and the publisher worked on getting it licensed by Jerry. Uh, so it was official and I, I'm really proud of it, Eric, because it's a very polished product. And the fact that it is official means I knew it was going to be something that I could be proud of. No one wants to see some makeshift logo, soft cover kind of nonsensical book. You can tell it's not really legitimate. I knew that this was totally legit and I was really proud to have my name associated with it. And it was just a blast to do. And normally I'm kind of, when it comes to creative projects, I don't really like to do things unless it's something that I've kind of come up with on my own. I don't love, love doing things that are derivative of some kind of existing entity. I really like to create my own, but I thought, because let's face it, even if my name wasn't on this book, it would have sold very well because Seinfeld is so popular. But then I just looked in the mirror. I said to myself, what are you doing? You idiot. It's your favorite show. Break your own stupid rule, have some fun with it and just go with the process. And I'm so happy that I did. It's re it's really cool. And of course, for someone like me, who, of, of course, obviously is very much in the food world, it's just yeah. the perfect marriage of like all of the things that I love. Um, now, I know some of the food items that are in it, but not all of them. Um, like I know that the black and white cookie um, yep. is in it um, and the, the big salad is in it. Um, but I want to ask you a couple of items um, and you can tell me if they're in the book or if they're or if they're not in the book and be really interesting to see because uh, um, you know the, the, I'm a huge Seinfeld nerd to probably I, I think maybe to the extent you are I don't know we've never had a trivia battle or anything you know but, but I think I, I can think of these things off the top of my head so I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off a few and you tell me if, if they're in the book or not all right all right um, all right so um, let's see the first thing that comes to mind the the calzone from Paisanos. Is that in the cookbook? I believe that's in. It's tough for me to remember every single one right now because it's loaded with uh, a ton. Well, I think there's over yeah. more than 60. Um, I, if I, I read that correctly on you know Amazon. What? I should have it around here. Let I me, think let there's me, like 60 recipes, which is amazing. Um, hang on. Let me look at my bookcase. Let me move these copies of 50 Shades of Grey out of the way. <laughs> hang on. There are, there are multiple. <laughs> 50 Shades yeah, right, of Grey and 60 Shades of Seinfeld. <laughs> but uh, I believe I'm flipping through it now. I think the calzone is in here. Oh, uh, this is so exciting. Okay, so the calzone is in. What about the... Steinbrenner's uh, calzone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, this is so awesome. So, okay. So what about George's garbage can eclair? Is that in? That is my favorite one in the book. And would you like oh, to know... Oh, that. That's so great. <laughs> where do you hear what I titled it? Because that is... When, <laughs> Because when this thing came out, I went on, uh, Julie and I went on the Drew Barrymore show promoting it, which was amazing. And I also did a series of interviews for a lot of different shows. I went on the Today Show in Australia, much like what I'm doing with you from my home. And I, whenever anyone asks me my favorite thing in the book, it is the one 
that you just asked about. Oh, and I just so flipped funny. it open to page 138. And I am so proud of this. I titled it, get ready, Eric. Grab hold of something, buddy. George's, what the hell? I'll just eat some trash chocolate eclair. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and of course, that's, yeah, that's right. That's what Jerry said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, that's. <laughs> some trash. So I said, that's what we have to call it. So here's the little intro that I wrote. After one bite, you, not the eclair, will be hovering like an angel. For true authenticity and in a tribute to George, eat one over a trash receptacle, though we'd advise keeping things neat and just using a plate. There you go. See, the blurbs are great, too. And, you know, it's almost like you're a little bit, you're kind of channeling the uh, Jay Peterman catalog with the blurbs a little bit. With the, yeah. You know, you're telling a bit of a story. You're painting a picture of the scene, you know, like when Elaine is is walking in those Himalayan walking shoes. Um, <laughs> all right, a few more items I want to try and uh, ask you about here before we move on. Um, okay, what about, what about uh, Kramer's shower dinner that he made? Is that in the cookbook oh um uh i don't think oh man i got <laughs> or is it a radish roast i don't know exactly what he was making in there but but um you know he saved himself a lot of time kramer's, by doing it that way <laughs> uh kramer's peach pancakes uh the mackinac peach <laughs> i kramer's won't keep casserole there's gotta be. I don't know. I can't find it right now, so I don't. It's. I don't think there's anything about. But there are. You see, that's. There are references, though. There are veiled like references to but the this, bathtub. But, but yeah. the, see, the, the problem. The shower dinner is not health department approved. So I'm not sure that's something <laughs> we even want people attempting to make. You know, you've got people in their showers with the cookbook trying to make this <laughs> dinner, and you know, slipping on a piece of romaine and cracking their skull open, and pretty soon you've got a lawsuit on your hands, and that's the last thing you need right you don't need that in your life um well look look it's such a fun idea it's so cool um let well, me let me, let me festivus, sorry go ahead festivus meatloaf jerry's just a salad uh cosmos unseen bouillabaisse because there's one where he's making a bouillabaisse but you never see it you know so we've covered a lot <laughs> so i think um even if banya's are- uh, uh a soup can be very filling we there's an entire chapter on chapter four, no soup for you. It's all soups, it's all soups. So it's people so have great. been having fun with it, and uh, I think they'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. One of my one of my prized possessions, my my brother one year for Christmas got me an autographed chef's coat, um, <laughs> autographed by uh, Larry Thomas. I think his name's Larry Thomas. Yeah, who played the soup Nazi, and it just says it says no soup for you on it. I love it. Says, it. Like, Eric, no soup for you. Signed, you know. Quote, quote the soup Nazi Larry Thomas and uh, just so so cool. Um, I love that, and uh, I will say that. Um, well, I forgot what I was going to say, so that takes care of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I uh, what what is this is such a hard question, and I, I don't expect you to be able to answer it easily. But like, what are the what are the your favorite Seinfeld moments? I don't even want to say episodes because. Each episode has like three different things going on that are just classic. So, you know, like what what are like the first three that come to mind that you just that are just blow you away every time you see them and make you laugh uncontrollably every time you see it? Like which three would you pick? You know, it's it's funny you would mention that because it's I, I don't know if it's this way with you and your friends, but uh, with me and with my friends, 
the ones especially because we're all into Seinfeld, obviously, and that's how you you know you you find your friends. You're into the same things. I'm constantly, Eric, like texting. We'll just texting each other a random line. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just <laughs> something in quotes. I'm pulling up a text right now from my buddy Nick the other day. All it says in quotes is he writes to me, the washer fluid is not fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, and the other day I just said to him, have a yolk. Would it kill you? See, so this is kind of how I live my life. And people love to, well, how could you watch that so many times? Oh, it's please. Just, right. Exactly. And I have the same reaction. Oh, no. Just, yeah, no. It's, 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 uh, it is. It's one of those shows that just, I, I mean, I've seen it. Uh, God, hun- I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And I, I know what's coming. And it's just fun <laughs> the way they say things like, yeah, like, uh, you know, and and, and also th- think about how many careers that show either launched or like revitalized. Like when I think about actors like Brad Garrett is a great example playing the mechanic. You've got uh, Carrie Elwes, you know, playing. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, what was his name? Oh man, he played the husband of uh, Deborah Messing in that episode. I can't remember. remember. I Elaine, think his name is Arnie. Arnie, the, Elaine. Elaine had the high, he was he was the one who would ask himself a question and then answer it. You know, so like whenever Death someone Arnie, does I that, think. whenever yeah. someone does that in my life, I think about that episode. That's the first thing I think of when someone goes, you know, uh, do I like having meatballs for dinner? No. <laughs> Am I gonna have them anyway? Yes. Like whenever someone does that, that's what I think of. There's um one of the things at work uh, at the bakery. There's a, a guy who works there. Family friends been there forever. Uh, huge Seinfeld fan. And one of the things we do constantly is we do the whole back and forth between uh, Jerry and Milos, the, the tennis instructor. So constantly, like all day long, we're just going, look at the big baby. Look at the, are you wetting yourself? <laughs> like just all day we're doing that. Like in, in just random situations. Like we're just always doing that. It, not even, even if it doesn't make sense, like he'll just like, I'll walk by and he'll just go, are you wetting yourself? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. He's not even a man like I am, you know, just like, like the whole thing is just hysterical. Well, so, um, in, so, uh, from that same episode, I, I you know, a uh, buddy of mine, if, we, if we're out in a social setting and I, I won't say any more than this, we'll just look at each other if a certain situation presents itself and one of us invariably will beat the other one to it, but we'll say game set and match. Hey, Milos. <laughs> that's, that's inside one that the people who know that will know exactly what we mean, but yeah. And I also, okay. So to directly answer your question, I thought of one, the close talker, for example, there are just so many people that like, <laughs> they just keep, I'm, I'm like backing up and I'm like, son of a gun. It seems like every social situation, Eric, somehow, I can tie it back. And it's just, that's why the show was so brilliant. They did such oh, a yeah. masterful job of taking these real life situations yep. and scenarios. And the world doesn't need the two of us telling it this, but it's just, it's what everybody already knows. Yep. That's why it's so much fun. And when I was a kid, I loved how zany Kramer was, or I loved how neurotic George was. But as I've gotten older and I've realized, you know, you know, the, the relationship subplots. And as I've become a, well, as close to an adult as I can. And I realize, oh, that is so true. And it, it, it's that stuff, the, the relationships between men and women and dating and all that stuff that just really resonates and I get an extra kick out of. So it's like rewatching it through these new adult-ish kind of eyes. And then it's like, this is funny for the entire, you know, 23 and whatever amount of minutes that the episode runs. And so 
yeah, I think it's just so relatable still to this day because of the human situations that were presented. You know, it's also amazing just that that show was able to reach so many different types of people and so many different uh, demographics and uh, and generations like my aunt Rose, who, you know, my aunt Rose was 93 or 94 or something like that when she died and she died like, you know, almost 10 years ago. So she was pretty old when the show was on and she loved it she and she was in love with kramer like she it's just like when kramer went down to del boca vista like all the old ladies were in love with him you know she loved him there was something about kramer that like you know old ladies liked i guess i don't know but she loved him she hated jerry um hated him (laughs) thought he was thought he was obnoxious and 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 not funny but you know it one of the things that occurs to me too about that show is uh, when Jerry Jerry was on Howard Stern and he was talking about how the old Abbott and Costello show was was such a huge influence on what they did with the Seinfeld show. And it occurs to me like there's something in the DNA of that show that's just timeless and classic where yeah. someone who's in their 80s can watch that show and, and without even realizing it, it's like they, they're getting that classic Abbott and Costello type humor out of it and and it's something they like about it that they can't even explain it, it really is like the genius of it i was um, uh totally i was away recently and i was with uh hanging with some friends and who, whom i don't see all the time and we were they love seinfeld as well and we were out to eat and someone spelled something and out of nowhere i just said d-a-l-r-y-m-p-l-e you know right into the one where george tries to s- spell mr dalrymple's name i've been unbelievable <laughs> spelling last names like it's, it's, <laughs> It's so it's so perfect. It's so yeah. absurd. My wife hates it. My wife hates it when I do I do it all the time and she, you know, um she she very nicely watched has watched many Seinfelds with me, but like especially in social situations, I can't help myself. I have to let somebody know that what just happened is this thing from Seinfeld. I have to let them know. I can't not let them know. It's like I have to do it. I can't control it. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's it's so great to share this, you know, with you and you've, you know, we kind of like the Seinfeld fans. We, we talk in our own little secret code and the fact <laughs> yeah, that it really is the it fact really that is. the show still has the cultural relevance and, and just, and, and I'm really proud of the fact that and I'm really happy that Julie asked me to do this and just really proud to have my name on the book and, and to have done this project. And, uh, I'm, I'm just holding it now and it's, it's really awesome. So I'm proud of that. Yeah, it's only I if I I can tell I can ask you what the forbidden city is and I know you're going to know exactly what that means without <laughs> any explanation whatsoever. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me, man. This has been so much fun. I could I mean I literally could talk Seinfeld with you all day long. It'd be the most fun thing in the world. Um please tell everybody where they can find the book and how they can watch the roadshow if they're well, the, you know in Rhode Island. They the can book is it. available now uh, for shoplifting at any of your favorite bookstores. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, you can get it just about anywhere. And um, I, I know you, you can get it at local bookstores. You can get it on Amazon. But just if you Google Seinfeld, the official cookbook, you will find it and uh, makes a great gift for Festivus. And I think people will really get a kick out of it. And um the road show weekday mornings at nine live on WPRI 12. And 
Uh, we're having a great time every morning welcoming get in guests. You've been on. You've been great in the kitchen. And there's some great energy every morning with Will Gilbert, Audrey McClelland, and uh, and myself. And uh, we're just having a blast with it. I love it. It's the best hour of the day. Yeah, it's when uh, I, I feel most uh, at my at my peak. I, I've got good energy. I love. I just love the thrill of being on the air. That has never left me. I still enjoy it very very much. And I'm on all the sh- socials at Brendan Kirby TV and uh, posting all kinds of silliness across Instagram and just trying to keep it fresh and creative and fun. Well, you know, you did a you did a really great interview recently with Kevin Pollock that I really enjoyed, and uh, you know, so for people listening, um, you know, go. Check that out. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Just type in Kevin Pollock Roadshow and you'll get to see Brendan's interview with Kevin. And just one last question about the the book, Brendan, before we go. Like Kramer's coffee table book, does (laughs) the cookbook open into a working stove? (laughs) It does not. But if you'd like to turn it into your own makeshift coffee table, you probably could. (laughs) Brendan, thanks so much, man. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Eric, for inviting me. I've never been invited anywhere before, so this is great. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. And thanks to everyone uh, for checking this out. This is the Just Listening Podcast. I gotta go. Go where? We just got I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.